producing goodness, the work of God's law or the work of state law. In this podcast, we discuss how our three writers, Augustine, Ibn Khaldun, and Ibn Daud, argued that it is God's law that engenders goodness, not state law, meaning the decisions made by society's ruling elite and enforced by state power. We think of religion as creeds, but here, to be religious is to act from conviction in God's goodness. For this reason, it is God's law that produces goodness in us by orienting our souls to the goodness of God rather than the power of the state. It is easy to think of state law as divine because we often conflate worldly power with divine favor. State law isn't evil, but it's not the state that transforms souls. God's law as goodness attracts souls, which are drawn to it willingly. Those, Augustine notes, who live by God's standards are necessarily lovers of goodness, loving the neighbor as they love themselves. Some might see all law as oppressive, but that's to misunderstand God's law, which speaks to our convictions. Humans can turn God's law into a force for subjugation, making religion a noble lie to get people to submit to a worldly power pretending to be divine, but this is faux religion, weakening our convictions by subjecting them to power, in contrast to true religion, which strengthens them. Augustine analyzes Rome's law not as the enemy of God's law, but as faux religion, since it claims to represent divinity when it only represents imperial power. It may preserve order, but it's the order of imperial glory, working for the subjugation of peoples. As such, it is alien to God's law, which ensures human dignity. To illustrate this, Augustine turns to the writings of Sallust, first century BCE historian, who spoke of the moral vigor of the people of Rome in its earlier days when justice and morality prevailed among them by nature as much as by law. They were good by inner conviction, possessed of a moral vigor that allowed for imperial expansion, but it came at a price. Their conquests produced imperial law, which worked by intimidation rather than by conviction. Augustine is saying that the coercive nature of imperial law, even if preserving the political order, weakens citizen souls, making them susceptible to moral degradation. In contrast, Augustine says, had they been governed by God's law, they would have enjoyed justice without harm to the soul. State law as external force deadens the conscience, whereas God's law awakens it since it operates within the soul. Augustine sums up his point in the following words, The earthly city glories in itself, whereas the heavenly city glories in the Lord. The former looks for glory from men, the latter finds its highest glory in God, the witness of a good conscience. To be good doesn't mean to disobey state law, but to obey your conscience which is the spiritual organ that grasps God's law. To obey your conscience, your soul has to be alive to the divine spirit at work in it, orienting it to freely chosen goodness. However, the ways of the world weigh down on the divine spirit within, and, Augustine says, we need a spiritual gift from God to restore it to life. Equipped with this divine gift, 
the soul is renewed to live for goodness as its own end. As a result, we become sharers in divine sovereignty, witnessing to what really rules society rather than the illusions of worldly power. It's a saintly dominion that makes its decisions out of a vision of a society that is truly beloved to all rather than disfigured by waste and poverty. Ibn Khaldun also recognizes that the coercive power needed to establish order erodes one's conscience. Thus, to maintain one's dignity, it is vital to make one's conscience one's guide. Ibn Khaldun ties the process to religion, which secures moral vigor in the soul. The problem is that state law, even when just, is necessarily external to the soul, whereas God's law speaks to it directly. Ibn Khaldun acknowledges that religion becomes debased when, instead of empowering souls, it's reduced to a set of decrees to be enforced in mimicry of state law. In contrast, his study of history indicates that leading Muslims had long spoken of God's law as guide at work within the soul. God's law thus orders the soul by its own volition, whereas state law disorders it by requiring its subjugation, thereby destroying its moral vigor. A very short story that Ibn Daud recounts aptly illustrates the workings of providence in history as it maneuvers between the goodness of divine law and the power of imperial law. It's a story of two figures. The first is Rabbi Judah ben Simeon ben Gamaliel, who represents the goodness of divine law as head of the rabbinical academy in second century Jerusalem. The second is the emperor Antoninus, who represents the power of imperial law. Ibn Daud begins the story with biblical verse that speaks of hard times, but also of hope in divine support. The verse reminds us of the historical context. Just before the period in which the story takes place, the emperor Hadrian had outlawed Judaism, persecuting those who remain faithful. Ibn Daud then proceeds to relate the story. Our saintly master, he says, Rabban Judah ben Rabban Simeon ben Gamaliel, became rabbinical leader. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter. In other words, the evil of the world is real, but it doesn't last forever. Ibn Daud continues, Hadrian died, and there reigned in Rome Antoninus, son of Severus. He loved our saintly master as himself. The days of our saintly master were all happy ones for Israel. All of the emperors honored and revered our saintly master throughout his life. The story, while brief, sums up history. Some are led by power to dominate others, but God does not abandon those who remain devoted to the goodness of divine law. Indeed, in the end, even power finds God's goodness more compelling than its own imperial glory. To conclude this podcast series, our three writers, despite their diverse contexts, all see the workings of society in terms of a profound authority, providence, which it turns out is more powerful than worldly power itself. Indeed, power enjoys sovereignty only to the extent it responds to the ways of providence, intentionally or not. We know this from history, which isn't just facts from the past, but a telling tale of true and false worship, 
offering insight into what really rules society and what is therefore fitting object of our devotions. Even if we can fully grasp providence only in hindsight, there are saintly communities that struggle for goodness, not power, thereby reminding us in real time of what truly lies at the foundation of a flourishing society. On the stage of history, power appears as lead actor, but as the play progresses, we see that its own logic won't save it. It survives only by cooperating with goodness, even if for its own interests, or else it grows corrupt and exits the stage. Either way, providence is last one standing as true protagonist in the drama of human society.